Thank you for listening to this week's message from North Shore Christian Church. For more information about North Shore, please visit northshorechristian.org. Amen. Well, this is going to be a bit of a challenge this morning because that was amazing. God is good, and we're really passionate about what we get to talk about today. Uh, my name is Pat Lasarda. I get to be one of the pastors here, and I'm here with a new face, Ben Baker. Everybody be nice to Ben online here. Uh, ben joined us and his family joined us uh, with North Shore Christian Church our early COVID. As soon as we uh, opened up on site June uh, 2020, uh, him and his wife Lynn came and joined us. And uh, he has a, a special uh, calling, gifting, passion, and experience that he wanted to make uh, himself available to our church staff as well as the body. And so I want to hand it over to you and give us a little introduction of who you are. Yeah, as you know, Ben Baker's my name. I've been married to my beautiful wife, Lynn. It'll be 36 years in March, I believe. Awesome. Um, hey, that's... Thank you. That's rare space. That's awesome. The praise needs to go to my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Good job, Lynn. Um, so I've been in ministry, I was a pastor at a different churches, started as a youth pastor, served as senior pastor at a couple of churches as well, about 20 years, um, resigned from that position and went into social work. And I've been in social work for the last 10 plus years. I'm not sure exactly how long that was, but it, it's all a blur. It is. It, it becomes a blur at a time after a while. I'm, I'm 58 years old. Um, I like to tell people I'm 85, then I look a lot better. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, this is a great opportunity, I think, the Lord has just opened up uh, to me, and to be able to come alongside and work with Pat and Scott and Damien and Rick and Josh and Brittany and Rebecca, I mean, the list goes on and on. I, I don't think I could remember every staff member, You're but I, it has been such a blessing to get to know them. And one of the things I want to make clear to you, you've got a great staff here, um, their, their love and passion for the Lord is real. It's not just for show up here. Their Pat's are, uh, is, is as real as you see him today. He is throughout the week. That is who Pat is, and that is who Scott is. That is who all of the staff members are. Um, so I just want to just, I, I appreciate this opportunity that they have shared this stage with me, and I consider this a sacred opportunity. Very cool. Uh, his title is counseling pastor with us to, to serve our staff and our people. His contact information is on the sermon notes. If you want to reach out to him and uh, have a conversation about potential counseling and, and some kind of support and guidance, whatever, there it is. Okay. With that, we're going to continue on. Oh, before I forget, Bibles. Bibles are coming down if you need one. Uh, we don't know how to translate those through online. Actually, we do. We have that link there with the Bible. Uh, go ahead and turn there with me. We're going to 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. Go there with your phone, look up on the screen, turn your Bibles, and then we'll be doing communion at the end of the message as well. Just so you know, we have not forgot about that. That's important to us, and we do that every single week in remembering the Lord. And so we are continuing on in our mini-series, New and it's based off of this anchor text, 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10. But you are a chosen race, 
You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. If you were here with us last week, or maybe you missed it, we had Tyler open up the series, and he talked about new realities. Based off of this text, there's some really important new realities for us as followers of Jesus. Number one, you now have a people. Where sin scattered, God gathered. As the consequences of sin scattered and separated, God brought together and reconciled. And we're not called to singularity living and independence, separate and isolated from one another. That's not what we're called to, but we're called to a plurality. We're called to belong. You belong to a people. You were never meant to do Christian life alone on your own. You're designed. That's the purpose of the church. It's not man's idea. It's God's. You now have a people. And then secondly, you have something to proclaim, just as we have been this morning. You have something to proclaim because God is amazing and the excellencies of him are worth saying. Amen? And I love that picture that he said, when snow happens, the first thing you do is tell other people, it's snowing. And far beyond the awesomeness of snow, and you know I'm a fan, I apologize. God's excellencies are worth proclaiming. Now this series is new as we go into a new year. And I want to just toss something to some of you your way. I love a new year. I love the fresh start, the clean slate, as I look ahead into the unknown and what's next. I love it. Now, there's something that I do, something of a, uh, well, just an annual practice that I do. I don't just go into the new year and just focus on the new year. I always reflect on the last year. This year on New Year's Eve, I took Psalm 23. It communicates God is a good shepherd. And like any good shepherd, a good shepherd does a few things. Cares, provides, leads, guides, and protects. Psalm 23, cares, provides, leads, guides, and protects. And so I looked at that psalm, and I looked at those characteristics of a a shepherd, and I asked, and I prayed, and I meditated, and I talked with God about how he had been my good shepherd over those elements over 2021. Some of you may want to do that. Take time. Slow down. Remember. And then give God the praise. So, 2021, going into a new year. We reflect on the last, praise God, thank him for how he's carried us into this next year. As you know, the best frame of reference for who you can anticipate God to be is who he was yesterday. It's the same with us. You know who someone's going to be like based off of how they've been, who they are, right? Outside of the radical transformation of Jesus Christ, right? Beautiful caveat, right? God has proven himself for years and years and years, right? So based off of that, as we look ahead, we do not have to look ahead in 2022 with anxiety. 
and fear. We have a good shepherd who will lead, guide, care, protect, provide. So, that's the preface, okay? New, new. Happy New Year, by the way. Happy New Year. (laughs) So, new realities. Now you're all caught up if you missed last week. Today, we're talking about new mercies, continuing on in 1 Peter 2, 9, and 10. Well, thank you, Pat, for that recap. Tyler's message was really good. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to get online if you you haven't had a chance to listen to Tyler's message from last week. Uh, He did a fantastic job of bringing God's Word. As I prepared, I I actually read the news. I sometimes can be a little bit of a news hound. Um, And so I actually got on the Associated Press, and I want to read a clipping to you from Mount... Piler or Peeler, Vermont, I'm not sure how the pronunciation goes, Montpelier, a free clinic in which people can get certain convictions and dismissed charges removed from their records after a time period will be held on January 14th. So this was last week, January 14th is obviously a few days away from, from today. The Vermont Attorney General and the state's attorney in Grand Isle Orange in Essex County said, appointments are available from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m., for expungement clinic. Now, I don't know if you know what expungement means. It means the erase of all records, legal records of anything that you've been charged with or convicted, either one being erased from your record so that when a a background check is done, that doesn't come up. Now, I don't know how you feel. It doesn't really matter. My point is not whether or not this is fair, right, legal, or anything of that nature. But can you imagine what it would be like if you had a record or if you've had charges and the impact that that has on your life, the barriers that that creates? There are so many things that, where we encounter a background check when you get a job, when you get a loan. I mean, the, the list can go on and on. And if something comes up in your record, it impacts the results of it. It impacts your sense of identity. I believe in transformation. I, mean, I believe in real change through Jesus Christ, as Pat has, has mentioned. And if you had come from a place where you've had a record, that would be marvelous opportunity for you to, in a sense, change your identity, change you know, something about yourself, the way people view you and learn about you. Just like Pat said, the best, uh, the best way, record way to see what your future is going to be, who you are, is based upon your past, unless Jesus Christ transforms your life. And then you have a new identity. And that's what this, this passage begins with. It talks about having a new identity. But we're going to have a, we have a new identity because we have new mercies, the title of our message. Let me begin by having you take a look at verse 9. The first word in verse 9 is the word but. In Greek, it's the word day. And all that means is that there's, in contrast to everything else that Peter has been talking about, this is different, basically is what he's saying here. But he wants us to draw, draw back to the fact of what he said previously. So look with me at verse 8. I'll start at verse 7. So the, the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. Now notice the last thing, they stumble because they disobey the word. 
He's been talking about who Jesus Christ is, and he calls him the cornerstone in a building that he's putting together and refers to us as living stones to be built on that cornerstone. The cornerstone is the first stone that is laid to build everything else on. And then he contrasts that with those that don't recognize Jesus Christ to be the cornerstone, and they don't because they disobey God. That's the contrast that Peter is drawing out here in this passage when he goes on to say the next few words here. And I want to highlight that because that is where we once were. But praise the Lord, we have been transformed through the power of mercy in our lives to be new creation, a new identity. The second thing I want to point out is the word you. I like pointing this out because we as Americans think very individualistically. When we read that word, oh, he's speaking to me specifically, but that's not an accurate interpretation of the original languages here. It's actually more, not not a singular second person, it's a plural second person, which we don't have any, any type of connection in our language for. It'd be very similar if you were in the South and you wanted to invite your, a family and friends over, uh, you'd say, y'all come over for dinner tonight, right? That's what's really being captured. A, a group of people is what he's referring to. Tyler used the phrase, which I really loved last week, one among many. Now, it's important for you to recognize this to under, fully understand this particular passage and, and what Peter is trying to communicate. That's why I want to emphasize it. So he is referring to all of us collectively, not individually. It does apply individually. Don't, don't misunderstand me. But referring to all of us collectively here. The next thing, third thing I want to highlight here is his audience that he's speaking to. If you were to go back to chapter 1, verse 1, Peter identifies the audience as elect exiles in the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I want to emphasize exiles, dispersed. These are people that had once lived other, at other locations, but due to persecution and other things, they were forced to flee and now find themselves exiled in places that they are unfamiliar with, where they don't have their normal people around them, where they don't have their normal connections with people. So they are disenfranchised from what everything else is, that they used to have and now are, are alone out there. You ever felt disenfranchised? Been part of a group at one time and then been rejected by that group and kicked out? And how that feels, that that rejection, that sense of lostness, that sense of loneliness that you experience? That's the audience that Peter is speaking to here. They are exiles. They have been kicked out. They're disenfranchised. Now, going back to verse 9. I want you to notice one other thing. Chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. First of all, these are terms, titles, identification that are, have always been applied to Israel in the Old Testament. They are the chosen race. They are the, whole, the royal nation. They are the, the, the people of God. They are the priesthood. 
That's what he's referring, he's taking those things from the Old Testament and applying to them to these people he's speaking to. And guess what? We're all the audience here. That's all of us. He's also emphasizing it. There's emotion here. He's been describing people that rejected the cornerstone, the capstone, the stumbling block, the offense, Jesus Christ. And now he gets it, but you, I want you to capture this emotion, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession. If you are feeling disenfranchised and you hear those terms applied to you, that's going to give you hope. Recall that you do belong, that you are connected, that there is something greater than just you and you're not alone. Well, that's the new identity that we've been given. But we've been given a new identity because of new mercies. And this is actually where I want to camp. It may have felt like I just camped there. <laughs> but I, I really kind of want to camp here. One of the things, before I move into that, one of the things that uh, actually Pat referred to and Tyler used, which I love, is that sin scatters and God gathers. That is God's desire, is to gather and make a people. And we are that people, a holy temple, he refers to in verse 5 earlier on in the passage. He refers to us as being living stones that he wants to build up. But what builds that? Why are we able to build? And the key is because of new mercies. First of all, let me ask you this. Why do you need mercy? <laughs> you know, it's, implied, it's an implied question kind of in the passage, you know, as you read it. Look at me at verse... Verse 10, I'm going to go to the second half of verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. That's the first half. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Excuse me. My mouth is starting to get dry. Happens to the best. <laughs> Excuse me for that. Now notice... Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There is an implied question that you needed mercy. Why do you need mercy? Well, think in your mind back to the passage I referred to in verse 8, how we once were. That's the description of what we once were before Christ extended mercy to us, right? We were at that point. We were broken. I can tell you, as I stand here today, I am a broken man. I am, I am still a broken man. I have the hope of, of continuing this process of being healed and being put back together and made, made, be made whole again. And we are all in that same process. But all that is because, the reason I stand here is because of mercy. Only because of mercy. The second thing I want to highlight is, is have you understand what mercy is. I want to define mercy to you. You don't deserve to be identified with Christ, to be a called a chosen uh, nation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Those things are grace given to us. And we don't receive the punishment that we are due. That is mercy. That's, that's what we have been given in mercy. But 
we don't get grace unless we get mercy. It has to be there first. That's the beginning. Unless you, unless you, you have your record expunged, there's no grace. There's only punishment. That's the key point here in understanding the difference in grace and mercy. When I was a kid in high school, maybe some of you can identify with this, I got drunk. <laughs> uh, my, parents, I, my parents trusted me. And I, I can say that with confidence at that time because they did. Most of you as parents uh, have your kids come up to you and they ask you, hey, I want to go spend a week with my friend up in the woods. And, and you're thinking, well, who, you, who else are you going to be with? What are you going to do? You're asking all kinds of questions. What's going to happen there? You know, are there going to be any adults there? I want to know who those adults are. I want to call those adults and see what's going on. That's the kind of list that you go through. Well, I had earned some trust with my parents. And I came to them and said, my friend and his family bought a camp in Michigan. We were living in the Chicagoland area at the time, up in Michigan. And they wanted to go up there and fix it up. And my friend Tom invited me to go with him. And so I went to my parents and said, I want to go up uh, for a week, uh, help this family work on doing chores and, and repairing stuff for a week up there. And, and my parents said, sure. They never called the, called the family. They never said, who are you going with? They didn't, they didn't go through that long list. I had built up some trust with them based on previous decisions that I had made. And so I go up there, and I'm having a great time. There's four other youths about my age, high school age there as well, working, and we're having a great time. And it comes one of the nights, they, you know, the, the adults decide to pull out some of the alcohol, and uh, one of us four, I don't remember who, decided to grab a case of beer What's that? Don't name any names. <laughs> Not naming any names. Grab a case of beer. We went back to a barn that was on it by ourselves, and we downed that whole case of beer. And I've never been drunker in my life. I've never been drunk again since then because that was not any fun. I was sicker than a dog. I get, I get done. I go home. I see my parents. My parents ask me, so how was your time with, your, with, with Tom, your friend, and up there? I said, it was great. And back in my mind, I'm thinking, you have no idea what I did. Days go on, that, that, that thought, I've broken trust with my parents, continue to come back into my mind over and over. The pressure was there. I believe it was the Holy Spirit that was convicting me of, of sin. And I, had remor I was having remorse. I finally got to a point after a few days being back, I, I could not not say anything. My parents, late at night, well, not late at night, but they were laying in their bed, and I, and I walked in. They are both reading something in their bed, and I walked in. I said, Mom, Dad, i got something to tell you. I broke trust with you. You trusted me to make good decisions on up, and I, and I didn't. I got drunk, and I'm sorry I did that. Now, I went in there anticipating that I was going to have to face the full consequences, and I was willing to do it because it was, it was right that I faced those consequences. You know what my parents said? I expect, I know what I expected them to say, how disappointed they, they were in me, to give me a long list of why I should not have done that and why they're never going to let me do that thing again and give me all the consequences of what I was going to face, being grounded, being, having things taken away, what, whatever that would end up looking like. You know what they did instead? Ben, you're forgiven. Not only that, they said, Ben, we're proud of you. Then they went on to begin to compare me to King David. 
Uh, King David is not a perfect man. We know some stories about King David. He was a broken man as well. But I always consider that to be kind of the highest pinnacle to be compared to. And my parents compared me to King David in my repentance and remorsefulness. And in that moment, they graciously extended me their trust again after they had mercy on me. That's what Christ does for us. That's what Christ does for you. And and that's what new mercies are all about. The other thing I want to highlight in the passage is the word for mercy here. I'm not going to try and pronounce it, plus I don't have the the word in front of me, so I'd mess it up anyway. But the the word for mercy is what what we call in Greek the aorist passive form. Passive meaning you don't do anything to receive it. It's done on your behalf. That's what mercy is. Mercy is granted to you on your behalf, and you can't do anything to, to receive it, to earn it. The other part, heiress, is really the part I want to focus on. The heiress form means something that's been done in the past, but in its wholeness, in completeness. It's all there. Nothing else that needs to be done, and it's done in the past. It's what I would call mercy on call. So when you need mercy... It is there to be granted to you without having to do anything. You just have to accept it. There was a commercial during the Christmas season that I really kind of, it was interesting the impact it had internally for me. I think it was TJ Maxx, um, Marshall Fields, I'm not sure which one it was, but the shoppers were walking around the store and they pick up an item and take it out, look at it and put it in their shelf and suddenly a new item would appear. And there's, oh, they pick that one up and put it down. Oh, another one. And they pick it up. And I I got sensed in myself this desire, pick up the next one. I want to see what else is going to show up. That's what mercy means to be on call. As you need it, take it. There's more. It's in its complete and its entirety already been granted to you. You just have to accept that. There's one last thing I want to connect some dots for you regarding the identity, building living stones, a holy temple, and this mercy, your identity and and your mercy together. We are given mercy so that we can share mercy. If you remember the story of the unfaithful servant in Matthew 18, uh, unmerciful servant, I think. Did I say unfaithful or unmerciful? Okay, Un- unmerciful servant, where the servant is pleading for mercy from someone he owes a huge debt and he would be thrown into jail if he didn't pay the debt. And that ruler for, had mercy on him and forgave him all his debt. That unmerciful servant then goes around, finds someone that owes him money and doesn't give him mercy, but then throws him in jail until every dime is paid. How he's going to pay any dime while he's in jail, I have no idea. But he throws him in jail. The first ruler finds out that he has behaved in this way and then holds him accountable for not extending mercy when he had received mercy. The point of mercy is that we extend it together, that we share it out, that we don't hold it back. But as we receive it, we give it to others. We are all broken people. And we all are in need of mercy on a daily basis. I kind of consider, as I look at this passage, this mercy being the mortar 
that holds the, the living stones together to build the temple. If we eliminate mercy, if we don't share mercy, if it breaks down in any, any place along the way, the whole building comes collapsing down. We need mercy from one another and from God himself. And we are called to be that holy temple. I love that picture. That is such a good picture. You know, as I think about the mortar, uh, how uh, critical it is for relationships, right? Brick on brick is rough, right? (laughs) When it's just brick on brick, that, and there's no room for mercy, that, that's rough. And it bonds, it adheres, right? It, it, it abides, right? We abide with Christ because of mercy and that reconciliation. And uh, uh, we get to stay connected with one another because of that mercy versus just love that. We have a new identity because of new mercies and God's mercies are new every morning. God's mercies are new every morning, but only in your need. Only your need. As you need it, take it. As you need it, take it, just like he had said. Only your need, because God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble, because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. He who is forgiven much loves much. How are you forgiven much? Only because you are aware of much and you ask for forgiveness of much. He who is forgiven much loves much, but he who is forgiven itty bitty, right? Not very aware, not very humble, not very repentant. But he is forgiven, loves little, for God desires mercy. God desires, his heart is mercy. Not fake, pious, self-righteousness. My poop does not stink, but yours really does. That is in the literal. Hosea 6.6. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning, it doesn't say his mercies are to be abused every morning. We're talking about mercy and it's beautiful. Change my life, change his life. Can I get an amen? amen. <laughs> it doesn't mean that there's not consequences. We can choose our sin all day long, but it doesn't mean that there's not consequences of our sin, right? We're still affected by our sins. Others are affected by our sins. We're affected by others' sins. And mercy is necessary in order for restoration and healing and growth in being like Jesus. The Bible says God's mercies are new every morning, but not to be abused every morning. Mercy is intended to heal, not give license for more destruction or self-destruction because it's God's kindness that leads us to repentance and then therefore reconciliation you only need mercy when you're in need you only need mercy when you're in need 
in the suffering of this world as we live in this broken world and we experience the brokenness of this world in our own bodies, in relationships, in the suffering of the world and we cry out for mercy. We cry out for mercy. I think now is a good time in our nation, in our world, to be crying out to God, the only one who is supremely in control, for mercy. You only need mercy when you're in need. As we experience the suffering of this world, as we experience suffering ourselves from others' sins, we're in need of mercy, pleading to God, please have mercy, show mercy. And as well, when we are made aware of our own sin, are we in need of mercy? David was most aware of his need for mercy when he was called out and confronted about his sin. Paul was in need, most aware of his need for mercy when he met the Lord Jesus Christ and realized how arrogant and ignorant he had been. Jeremiah was most aware of his need and his people's need for mercy as he saw the destruction of sin on the people of God. And Isaiah was most aware of his need for mercy as he stood before a holy, perfect, righteous, just God. You only need mercy when you're in need. We can get caught up in the flesh and miss the spirit and not see our need for mercy. We can get caught up. We can be blindly too focused on others, others' sin, others' struggles, others' failings, others' shortcomings. Get hung up on that. Especially the further we've been down a road or the more we've lived here, or the more we know about something, or the longer we've been doing something, this trap, this hole, is especially big for us. And I think about a few areas in life in particular. I think about marriage. We can get ourselves up on a high horse. In parenting, or grandparenting, or the workplace, or being a Christian. The longer you've been doing something, the more you know about something, the easier it is to look down. To look down and wonder why. Why aren't you blah, blah, blah. Or look behind. Why can't you keep up with me? And instead of growing in love and mercy and Jesus' likeness, we actually grow more in Pharisaical likeness. There's a real temptation. And I have to admit, in my flesh, I can vacation here. And it never feels good, right? The fruit of flesh never tastes good. It's never satisfying. The bitterness, the resentment, the criticalness, the separation, I hate it. They don't have my giftings, my strengths, my experiences. But when I come back to the Spirit, right, and walk with the Spirit with what is good, right, true, pure, 
I realize, you're right, they don't have my gifting strengths and experiences. And neither do I have theirs. Sovereignly by God. I'm not them and they're not me. And that's good. That's really good. That was by God. And it's actually way better. So I need to put my flesh in check. Because that is not of God. And humble myself. See it the way he sees it. Because it's always better. And keep in step with the spirit. Not get ahead walking in the flesh. Doing things in the flesh. God's mercies are new every morning, but only in your need. Only in your need. Can you trust him? Lamentations 3.21. We're going to look there. Lamentations 3.21. Lamentations is a pretty painful book. It's about lamenting. It's not a fun read by any means. It is a record of arguably the most painful time in Israel's history as the people of God, the most embarrassing and painful time, arguably, because there's, a, there's a, a few good times to pick from. But there is, in the midst of the darkness of them suffering the consequences of their rebellious sin against God, there's this hope that's spoken, this light that's spoken, this, this truth prophesied of God's goodness in the midst of lots of pain and suffering. Okay, it's an amazing passage. Many songs are sung and written after it. Okay, Lamentations 3, 21 through 26. But this I call to mind. In the midst of lots of suffering and struggle, but this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul, therefore I will hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him, to the soul who seeks him. It is good to the one who should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. God's mercies are new every morning, but only in your need can you trust him. And I'm going to tell you, you can trust him. You can trust him. As I had a good friend recently remind me in my own broken journey of following the Lord, you can trust him. In the midst of my own questions and confusions and struggles, because life can beat you up and sometimes God can be confusing, he will let you struggle. As a good parent lets a kid struggle through a thing because it's a part of growing up, you can trust him. You can trust him. Many of you know what this is, this picture of this thing, this fiery ball in the sky. Not one of you, I swear, not one of you, worried about the sun coming up this morning. Right? Nor did you yesterday, and you're not about tomorrow. Right? You know that you know that you know the sun is going to come up because it has every single day of your life regardless of what you've done. Regardless of what you've done. The sun always comes up because the sun is faithful because God set it in motion to be. More faithful than the sun is God. Before the sun ever was, God 
The sun will end and then it will be God in the new heavens and the new earth. The sun will go away and it will be God. God is faithful. You can trust him. God is faithful. You can trust him. And God is unchanging. You, my friends, you changed last year. Our world changed last year. God did not. You are going to change this year. In our world, we're not done yet. The world's going to change too. God is not. God is unchanging. You can trust him. You can trust him. Come to our time for a response. What is our response to to this idea of new mercies? Some of you may not have received or accepted or requested that mercy that is waiting on call for you. And you need to do that. It's, It's offered to you through Jesus Christ. We live in the information age, but it's not information that transforms. It's not information that saves. It is relationships. It is relationship with Jesus Christ and relationships with one another as we are Christ to one another. So the second question is, is there someone you need to extend mercy to? I want you to sit here for a moment and just ask that. Is there something that I need to accept Christ? mercy, some area of my life where Christ is extending it, and I just need to take it and accept it. Is there somebody else that I need to extend mercy to that has offended me, that has hurt me, and I need to offer that to them. Sit in that moment. Allow Lord to work. These questions and this message is a perfect preparation for communion as we uh, are called and challenged to not take communion in an unworthy manner, meaning that we would examine our hearts and see if there is any error, any way that is not of God where we're off track and he's nudging us or strongly getting us back on track with him.
as we remember his body, his blood, his love, his mercy poured out for us, we do that out of a heart of worship and a heart of celebration, a heart of appreciation, a heart of humility because of our own need, because of our own need. Let's take a moment just to pray, prepare our hearts for communion. What conversation you need and have with the Lord? Go ahead, have it. If this is the first time for you, you haven't had that conversation with the Lord, this is not an accident. God is at work in your life, calling you to him, working at revealing his truth and his goodness to you, that your heart would be softened and pliable to him. He promises he will meet you there. You don't have to clean yourself up before him. That's the part of mercy, the beautiful power part of Jesus's blood that he says, come as you are. And he will meet us there and have a conversation with your king, your God, your creator. And if you need help with that, we'd love to help you with that. Let's just take a moment to pray. piece of bread represents Jesus's body. His love came down, took on flesh, just like you and me, lived a life just like you and me, became like us so that we would become like him, that we would know the full extent of his love. Let's take and remember his loving sacrifice through his body, through his life. And this cup of juice, representing his blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Cry out for mercy and thank the Lord. Let's remember. God, we love you and we marvel at your goodness and your design. Thank you. God, thank you for everything that you've done. Thank you for your faithfulness. Our eyes are fixed on you. Have your way in and through your people. In Jesus' name, amen.